pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord, we give you praise forever, for you are the King of kings. What an awesome privilege we have to sing about that, to sing about those truths, to be able to come this morning and to be blessed and led by our student praise team. Lord, it's just such a, one of the coolest days of the year. We get to come. We get to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so this morning we ask your Holy Spirit to be about this place. Lord, that he would help us understand your word that would be forever changed by it. We love you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've got your Bible with you, your Bible app, any of those types of things, you can go ahead and get, get ready. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we begin uh, this morning. Many of y'all may be familiar with the idiom, can't see the forest for the trees. Can't see the forest for the trees. This is a, a phrase that simply means um, that a, a person or an organization of whatever it may be cannot see the really the big picture because they're too much focused or spend too much time focused on the details. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I love details. I really like them. Spent uh, 20 years in student ministry. And one of the things I found rather quickly within student ministry is that if you don't do details well, if you don't do it well, there's my, my that Oklahoma came out, man, I promise, sorry for that. If you don't do them well, if you don't do details well, your parents of your teenagers will not send their kids with you to do different trips. So details matter. Details matter. I happen to be a guy who really, really likes details. If we were to sit down in any type of meeting, and I'm, I'm there, uh, many of you uh, in this room, uh, staff meeting and things like that, or, or church stuff, if somebody throws out an idea, most of the time they're probably big picture people. I'm not an uber big picture people. I'm not the guy that, you know, just makes all kinds of dreams. I'm just not a big dreamer guy in that regard. But if you threw out an idea in a meeting, in my mind, I'm thinking about 30 different ways in which that goal or that vision or that dream is going to be accomplished. Because I like the details. The step-by-step -step stuff is what I enjoy. And oftentimes, I do, I, I don't know, just, I'm just me personally, just, I guess maybe it's a, to a fault, I take a look at the details, more fixed in, uh, on the details than I am on the big picture. There's a story about a man who sees the sign, who sees the sign in, front of a, in front of a house that says, Talking dog for sale. So he rings the doorbell, and the owner tells him the dog's in the backyard. So he goes out in the backyard, and there's this big dog just sitting down in the backyard. And the man asks him, you talk? And the dog looks at him and says, yep. So he said, then what's your story? And the dog looks up, and he begins to tell his story. And it went something like this. I discovered this gift, and I wanted to help the government first mistake. So I told the CIA about my gift. And in no time, they had me jetting from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders, because no one figured a dog would be eavesdropping. For eight years, I was one of their most valuable spies. But the jetting around began to tire me, and I wanted to settle down. So I signed up to do some undercover security work at the airport, mostly wandering near suspicious characters, Maybe some of y'all, you never know. And listening in on conversations. And I uncovered some incredible things. And I was awarded a bunch of medals. The man is amazed. 
He goes back to the owner of the house and says, what do you want for the dog? And the owner says, $10. And the guy says, $10? The dog is amazing. Why on earth would you sell him so cheaply? And the owner replies, because he's a liar. He didn't do any of those things. He was more concerned that the dog was lying than having a talking dog. He, he was more concerned with the details than he was with the dog himself and the fact that there could be a talking dog. As we venture into this particular passage of Scripture today, uh, Paul begins to talk to the uh, church in Thessalonica about things that are to come, particularly the day of the Lord, or the, or the coming of Christ, or Jesus' second coming. And one of the things that we need to understand this morning is as we look at prophetic passages of Scripture, whether it's this one or any other passages of Scripture, we need to understand that it's best if we look at the big picture and not get weighed down with all of the details. Because the Bible is clear on a lot of things. There are some things within Scripture that aren't as clear. But one thing that we can remain certain within this particular book is that he has given, God has given us through the Holy Spirit, everything that we need to know about him and about his plans and his purposes. But it may not be everything we want to know or everything that there is to know. And so when it comes to prophetic scripture, we don't need to spend too much time looking at the details, looking at the trees, or we will, in fact, miss the forest. Because the details, honestly, do not matter. God wants us to look at the big picture. And so this morning, as we dive in to 2 Thessalonians, we are going to intentionally keep a 30,000-foot view of this. Now, there may be some times in a Bible study, there may be other passages of Scripture that get a little bit more detailed on some of these things that we're going to spend some detailed time with. And we're going to be a little bit detailed here today, but, but overall, we're looking at the big picture of what's happening here. So the information that we are given within this particular passage of Scripture about the end times has less to do with the details, the details surrounding the event of Jesus' second coming and more to do with the certainty of it and the calling of God's people regarding its certainty. So to say it another way, Warren Wearsby is a pastor and he says this, the purpose of the Bible prophecy is not for us to make a calendar, but to build character. And what is that character? Well, that character is us trusting and having faith that what the Lord says will happen will happen regardless of when and how it will happen. So we have to have faith. We have to trust him. So the purpose is to ascribe power to the Lord Jesus. The prophetic scriptures are to describe power to him, to, em to embolden our faith and to warn those of us in this room who are not true believers. So just a, just a warning, I love happy things. I like funny things. I don't like sad things. But today is a passage that's going to kind of veer off into this moment where we have to be pretty serious. I'm not overtly serious a lot of times. But we're going to be serious a little bit today. So as we take a look at this, and we think about the coming of the Lord. May we always remember, first and foremost, that Christ is definitely coming, that he's, he's in sovereign control, and that he reigns supremely. So he's definitely coming, he's in sovereign control, 
and he reigns supremely. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12, if you will, stand with me as we read, if you're able, in honor of God's word, and we read 1 through 12. Paul switches gears here with the church in Thessalonica from um, trying to help them grow and all the persecution that they're facing and the difficulties that they're facing. He switches gears and to kind of help them with some teaching. And he says, now some, uh, this is verse one, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're asking that you would help us understand it. Help us to be encouraged by it and challenged by it as well. May your Holy Spirit be at work in and through us, that our hearts would be transformed more and more every day into the image of Jesus. So help us as we dive in, and may we be transformed and changed for our good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Christ followers, some things we want to look at. So if you're a believer in here, this is for us this morning that we need to really, really understand. First thing is that we need to understand is that we need to rest in the timeline of our Savior. So we need to rest in the timeline of our Savior. Paul writes here, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, this is also referred to as the day of the Lord, second coming of Christ, in our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. This idea, this quickly shaken, is this idea It comes from, the, um, from a term that kind of means that uh, like you're on a boat and that it's rocking and it's, it's been, um, the, the mooring has been, been um, cast away and it's just shaking and or it's become loose and it's just these rough waters do not be shaken because these this he's, he's encouraging them to be because they're, they're young christians they're young believers they don't know much this church i said in the first service this church probably doesn't even know how to spell church at this point they're not very they're not very old they're naive they're immature and so he's having to come behind them and say listen let me talk to you about the day of the lord and it coming so don't be shaken and do not be alarmed or surprised or a sudden shock. 
either by a spirit, talking about the prophecies, it's the same term as prophecy, either by a, a, another prophetic saying or a spoken word, somebody, what you may have heard hearsay, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the bathrooms at, you know, Bucky's, wherever, whatever it is that you're doing, like, don't be, that's not hearsay, don't be, don't be alarmed by any of those things. Or, he goes on further, or a letter seemingly to be from us. I think it's interesting here how Paul, I think, because sarcasm is my love language, like, I feel like Paul's a little bit sarcastic here. He's saying, listen, don't be shaken by all of these things. Don't be, um, don't be uh, alarmed by what is happening. Especially if it's a letter that is seemingly coming from us. Which kind of drives, kind of, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like there was some dude or somebody writing letters and sending around with Paul's name signed in. That's what it kind of alludes to, that there's this letter going around of all these different teachings. And it's got Paul's name stamped on it. He says, don't worry about any of those things. In regards to the day of the Lord, or saying that the day of the Lord has come. It's not like it has passed you by, but that we are in the midst of it, is what Paul is saying. It's not like you missed the boat. He's saying that the day of the Lord has come, it is upon us. It means Christ has come back for his church, that it's upon us. And Paul sits there and he says, like, don't be alarmed by any of those things. He also tells the church of Thessalonica in, in uh, first, the, the first book that he wrote to them in chapter 4. He says, this is how you're going to know if, I'm, if, if Christ is coming back. He says, he says, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air, and so we will also be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we're never going to know. We're never going to know when the day of the Lord comes, but we will know when it comes. We're not going to know when it comes, but we'll know when it comes. It's going to be a party. It's going to be loud. It may not be a party like we like to hear, but it's going to be loud. There's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be a lot of action, a lot of movement. If we haven't seen that, it's not happening. We, have to, we know that Christ will return for his church. His church are those of us in this room who have repented of their sin and trusted Jesus for salvation. He's going to take his church. He will return for their church, and he will usher them into eternity. And therefore, the church will be gathered together, will be assembled to worship the one who saved them. That's going to be us, y'all. When that trumpet sounds and it hits... And there's a lot of action happening. Christ gathers his church together in worship. What happens here is practice. What happens within these walls is practice. We're getting, we're getting practice. It's an important thing for us to do. Because this is something that we're going to do Forever. The writer of Hebrews reminds us and encourages 
the church to, to make sure that they do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, talking about the day of the Lord, the day drawing near. He says, as the day gets closer and every day it gets closer, as every day gets closer, we need to gather together, encourage one another, because the day of the Lord is near. There will always be things um, that, that seem to get in the way of God's plan, which I think is really, really funny. We tend to think that whatever happens in our life, things that happen in our life are, are, are speed bumps or major, major issues and things like that. There's no speed bumps with God. It's not like he woke up one day and he looked down and he was like, oh, that happened. I got to make some changes. No, he doesn't do that. There's no speed bumps with him. He just motors on like it was nothing. Like a gnat on a windshield driving down the road. Like you don't even notice it happened. It doesn't affect him. Nothing happens. Doesn't matter the distractions or any type of deceptions or delusions. Whatever they may be, it doesn't affect God. However, Satan is going to use whatever means he can to thwart the plan of God. However, you and I as believers, if you're a Christian here in this room, we should comfortably rest in the sovereign power of the Lord Jesus because he's in complete control. He's in complete control. He's in complete control of all things and time. Like what happens is going to happen in his time. So Christian, we should trust that everything is following God's timeline and any conjecture by us is absolutely pointless. What's going to happen? What's going to, it doesn't make any difference. It's his timeline. Now it's fun conversation. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to sit around, you know, Waffle House Waffle and talk to your buddies about what's going on and what do you think and possibilities, but it's honestly not that big of a deal. We just know he's coming. He's coming for us. So instead of us trying to determine a timeline or really falling prey to these glorified guesses that smart people have, right? As Christ followers, we must do the second thing here. We must hold truth to the scriptures. We have to hold truth to God's word. The first part of verse 3 says, let no one deceive you in any way. Remember, there's this letter, seemingly this letter going around and there's people being deceptive. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. In any way, be deceived by false teaching in the return of Jesus. No matter what form of communication they use, whether it's a text, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a letter, he's telling this church to not be deceived. And he tells the same thing to us. There's this, we're in the, we live in the world. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy. We live in a world in which we have more information at our fingertips than any other time in history. There's no, there are more ways to deceive and for us to be deceived in regarding to Christian teaching and doctrine today than there ever has been in history. And Paul reminds us that regardless of what that information and how that information is coming to us, that we are to not be deceived. In verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Kind of liken this to like the, him being a dad. Right? He's kind of the dad of this church, and he's trying to help them out. He's trying to teach them. Apparently, he's already taught them about these things, obviously, through context here. And so he says, you know, do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. It's like that dad, like, like you, you try to show your kids how to do something or, or whatever it is. Uh, maybe you're a teacher, and you, you're trying to teach people how to do a particular skill or whatever it is. And 
then it's like they do it one time with you helping them, and then all of a sudden it's like their brain leaves their head, and they can't remember how it in the world they did what they did in the first place, and whatever it may be. And he sits there and he says, like, or I guess you would sit there and say, like, I just showed you how to do this. To show you how to do this. It's a, it's a little bit irritating and frustrating, but at the same time, you're trying to be loving and, you know, not let your frustration just go out your ears. Like, there's all kinds. I mean, we've been there. We've all been there. And I feel like this is where Paul is at here. I feel like he's having to tell, some, tell them twice to do something or to listen to something, which drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. So I can relate to him with this. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Fortunately for us today, we can read all of God's word. All of God's word. The teachings of Paul, we get to read and we get to learn from. We're taught by them. Paul walks into this place. Did you not know that while I was with you, I taught you these things? He's concerned about those who profess faith in the church that he had started, that they're being so easily led away to falsehood. And the only weapon that you and I have against this falsehood that is all around us as well is the word of God. It's by knowing it and applying it. They were a young church, a naive church, immature church, they didn't understand the teachings. They were, they're still trying to, to, to live by the teachings. They didn't have this whole thing, and we have it. So for them to be deceived was simple. And we're not talking about, when we talk about being naive and being young, and, and yes, they were a young church. But this can relate as well to those of us in the room who are just young in our faith. You could, be a, you could have been a believer for the last 50 years, but you're just a young believer because you've not spent time in the Word, and therefore you are so easily deceived. And he has, God has given us His Word so that we would not be deceived. And how is that? How do, we, how do we go about living a Christian life and not be deceived? It's by spending time in His Word and knowing it and applying it and practicing it. Because when somebody says something foolish in regards to to the Christian faith, you can sit there and go, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, that sounds a little bit weird. Because you know it's wrong because you've spent time in here rather than being like, oh, I love that. I'm going to go off with that. But make no mistake about it. Satan's purpose is to deceive you and lead every single one of us away from the Lord. Here the apostle uh, Paul calls the, the church in Thessalonica to remember that he taught them correctly and they had quickly walked away from what it was that he had taught them. And so, believer, we must hold fast to the word and not be deceived and led astray. All the attempts to, to nail down a clear timeline for the coming of the Lord, the apostle tells us here that there are some things that will precede it. He gives us a hint and some clues as to how we can tell if it's coming. But one of the things we must understand, according to Scripture, that every Christ follower must expect, this is the third point, it must expect a turn of great significance. So we expect a turn of great significance. 
Take a look at the latter part of verse 3. He's just told them, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness revealed the son of destruction. He says that day, he's talking about the day of the Lord. This will not happen until these two things happen. First thing he says, the day of the Lord will come, first of all, when rebellion comes first. What is he talking about the rebellion? He's not talking about just a bunch of people going crazy and going nuts. He's talking about rebellion within the church, that there is going to be a point when people who have said they've been believers their entire life pick everything up and walk away from it. They get deceived and they walk the other way. The word rebellion just is, is apostasy, this, this open defiance of authority. With a, with a perceived or presumed intention to overthrow it, they want nothing to do with what it is that they once believed. There'll be a mass exodus of believers who will one day walk away from the church and from the faith. And the second thing that we will see that there is, there will be this man of lawlessness. This is what we call the Antichrist, the Antichrist. The very word tells you about the character of this man. He is against everything that Jesus is, everything that he claims to be. Jesus is good and loving. He is not. He's bad and unloving. Second John chapter 7 says that for many deceivers have gone out into the world, gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh such one as the deceiver and the antichrist. This person that will come will be a person. It's talking about an individual that will come and deceive and bring open rebellion against the Lord and his church. D. Martin Lord-Jones was, was a pastor over in England. He says this. He says, there's going to be an ultimate antichrist, one person, able to do such wonders that he almost deceives the elects or Christians himself. So church, as the day of the Lord gets closer, Satan will work harder and harder to deceive us. It's imperative that we understand what is to come and that we hold to the truths of Scripture and not be deceived. There will be a great move within the church for people to leave the faith. This does not mean that there uh, will be those who decide they just don't believe. This passage refers to a time when there'll be a large number of people who have professed faith in Christ, have all the trappings of Christianity who will walk away from the faith. They have the Christian t-shirt, they have the tattoo, they pray with their eyes closed, all these things that we do as Christians, and they are going to walk away from their faith. Why? It's because they didn't have a true faith. Didn't have a true faith. First John chapter 2 John writes, he says, and they went out from us, but they were not of us. Talking about Christians, people that were with them and, and going out for us. For they had been, uh, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all were not of us. Thank you, Paul, for the confusion. Basically, he says, they were never a part of us. They said they were, and they weren't. So Paul, I mean, John here says, that how is it that we, we know that we're a Christian? Is that we, we suffer through the difficulties. We persevere to the end. 
It's the perseverance of the saints, those of us in this room who are believers, regardless of what happens around us, regardless of how many people around us fall away and and, and turn their back on Jesus, that we will persevere to the end. I think it's a, a popular thing today. We've had conversations with many of you in this room about this, I think, at some point. But we, we live in a, in a world today in which it seems to be the popular thing to deconstruct your faith. We've got people in our life close to us who are deconstructed their faith, want nothing to do with the faith in which they grew up in. Many of you have that same story and we've prayed for each other in that regard. We've prayed for, for you, the stories that I know of, where that's an issue. We're praying for the salvation of those who have deconstructed because it's almost a popular thing to do today. These are the people that are walking away from their faith, that have been deceived These are the ones who will be part of that rebellion. One of the things that this passage reveals to us is that it's possible. It's possible for each and every one of us to claim to be saved and to truly not be saved at all. The question this morning is not, have I ever claimed to believe in Jesus? The question this morning is, is have I truly been born again? Am I different Have I been made new? Has my allegiance changed from myself? Have I changed the allegiance from will is a God to Christ is my God? Like, are you this morning sitting in this room, you and I, we have to sit there and wrestle with this and say, am I truly saved? Is my life different today than it was when I, before I came to know Jesus So believer, when it comes to the coming of Christ, when it comes to the the turmoil that we see all around us from day to day, and it seems like complete chaos, and that Satan seems to have the upper hand and he's winning, destroying God's people, as Christ followers, we must, number four here, rejoice in the totality of his supremacy. So we have to rejoice in the totality of his supremacy. Take a look at verse 6. Just right after he he had kind of encouraged and kind of challenged the church again, like, have I not taught you these things? Are you not familiar with these things? He says, and you know what is restraining him. Talking about the man of lawlessness. What is man of lawlessness? What is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? What is it that is restraining him? This is a hard truth. It's a difficult thing for us to understand and even comprehend. Who is the one who is restraining the man of lawlessness? It is God. For the mystery, he says in verse 7 of lawlessness is already at work. What he's doing, what his plans, what is working is already at work. However, God is restraining him. It's like that kid at the mall with the backpack leash and, God, and, mom's, and mom's got a hold of it and that kid's just running and he's like, open space and he's 
motoring, and the mom is just there, the dad's just there holding that back. That's what's happened. God is restraining the man of lawlessness. Because he's already at work. What he's planning to do is already at work, but he hadn't cut him loose. You've all seen it when that cord comes loose or the mom's not paying attention or whatever, and that kid is just, he's just shot. And you know it's all over. It's done. It's going to be an hour and a half before you get him back. So he's already at work, this man of lawlessness. Only he, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So God is holding it back until he sees and deems it's right to get out of his way and let him go. It is at that point in verse 8 that the lawless one will be revealed in whom the Lord Jesus, this is like, it's at this moment, you're just kind of like, you're beat down. Like, this is not fun. This is no bueno. I don't like it. And he says, whom the Lord Jesus, he gives a little hope, a little promise here, that whom the Lord Jesus, talking about the man of lawlessness, he will kill him. He will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Amen. In other words, whatever he started God is going to conquer. It would be as if nothing had happened. It speaks of his omnipotence, that he is in control. Yes, he's sovereign, but he is all-powerful. There is nothing that shakes him. I think we walk around in our Christian life thinking that God and Satan are arch enemies. God has no equal. Whatever the man of lawlessness does, God just flicks it off. Like, this is nothing. It's like, come at me, bro. I got you. There's nothing that he can do that can thwart God's plan. And it will be, he will kill it with his breath. It just speaks of the ease in which it's going to take him to thwart the plans of Satan. That all he has to do is, and it's done. But we do know what the man of lawlessness will look like. He says, the Bible says that he'll be a son of destruction. He'll be somebody who opposes the Lord and all that he has or all that he does. He exalts himself above the Lord Jesus and that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming to be God himself, blaspheming the holy temple. But it won't happen until God says it's going to happen. While those of us who are in Christ can and we should rejoice in this day, we should also be burdened to share the message of the gospel the good news to all who are not in Christ. So as Christ followers, we must warn of the terror without salvation. We have to warn of it. He's told you what's going to happen. He's told you what's going to happen. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. 
And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. What is God saying here? He's telling us that what happens to these people? That the coming of this lawlessness one, the, uh, the lawless one, the one that's going um, to deceive all of these people, these Christians, who don't truly have a relationship with Jesus, They, along with those people who do not know Jesus, are going to perish. Because, why? Because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Because they refused the gospel. And so what happens in verse 11? It says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. In order that they all may be condemned. Reminder of who is doing this work. It is God. It is God doing this. It's a hard passage for us to wrestle with. Where's this loving God? And he's allowing this to happen. He wants all those who did not believe to be condemned. He, he's sending them this strong delusion, this antichrist, so that all may be condemned. And why were they perishing? Because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. It's an incredibly hard truth to handle. However, this is not uncommon with God. After constant rejection, at some point, when the gospel has been shared with you so many times, God finally says, after you constantly reject me, Fine. Fine. You're the one that wants to be God of your own life? Fine. You can have it. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 26. It says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts and to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them up. He said, What you're doing is not what I desire. You have rejected me as God. Therefore, I leave you to yourself. So scripture is really clear about what will happen regarding the ones who do not believe. Every single day, you and I go to and fro this world, into the schools, into jobs, into a restaurant. And we're around people all day long that are on the road to condemnation. We walk around with our salvation so held tightly to us that we're scared to death we're going to lose it. It's like Gollum in the ring. It's my precious. I don't want anybody else to have it. But this gift of salvation was given to you, it was given to me, so that we might multiply it to a friend or to a family member, to a neighbor, to a coworker, to a waitress, to a waiter. It's the only gift that I can think of that you can give away and still get to keep it. It's meant to be given away. It's meant to be shared. So as Christians in this room, 
if we walk away with one thing today and one thing only, is that you've been given a gift, the gift of salvation. So give it away. Just give it away. We're here today, this morning. We should be encouraged and challenged by the timeline that God has set that we don't know. We should just rest in his, uh, in, by faith, accept it, and say, God, you're in complete and sovereign control, and we're going to rest in that. And it should bring us great comfort, knowing that he is in charge of all things. However, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, our scripture passage this morning should come as a warning to you, and it should be incredibly sobering. However, the Bible tells us Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For there will be a day when, there is, when, the, when the hope of salvation is no more. But if you come to faith in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. So my prayer is today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you come to know him today, and that today be the day of your salvation.